True Grit by Charles Portis, Chapter 7. Chapter 7 starts with Maddie running into Tom Cheney on the bank of a creek. The two go back and forth verbally, Maddie going as far as attempting both a citizen's arrest and using one of Rooster's go-to plays, lying about how many men just beyond the hill are waiting to swarm down and inflict violence. She tells Tom that she will shoot him if he doesn't come with her, and when he doesn't, Maddie shoots Tom in the side, wounding him. After a brief scuffle, Maddie is captured by Tom, Dead Pepper, and the original greaser Bob. Maddie tries to lie again about how many men are beyond the ridge before Ned Pepper explains that he will kill her if she isn't truthful, and she relents, revealing that only Rooster and LeBeef are there. In the distance, Rooster appears, and Ned Pepper and Rooster negotiate what is to become of Maddie and exactly why they are after Tom Chaney. It is in this scene Maddie fully grasps that her life is in danger and attempts to sway the outlaws with her background, explaining her family has land, because of this status, she didn't deserve to be treated poorly. She later, in conversations, offers her lawyer to a potentially assist Ned Pepper in hopes to restore order in the traditional sense. Maddie, clinging to hope that civil society would somehow save her, shows the reader both her immaturity and that in times of stress, people, in this case Maddie, will focus on what they hold as truth, regardless of how out of place those thoughts or feelings might be in that moment in time. Ultimately, Ned Pepper ensures Maddie that Tom will not hurt her before attempting to leave. As strong as Maddie is emotionally, she once again needs an adult to protect her, this time just with words and his threat of cutting Tom out of money. After a brief period together, Maddie is unable to attempt to swindle Tom, but does attempt to escape by striking him with hot water. She is then struck in the head with the butt of a pistol, and while she believes she's about to die, LaBeef swoops in and saves her and apprehends Tom. As Tom, LaBeef, and Maddie watch from a distance, Rooster takes on Ned Pepper, the original greaser Bob, Harold Permley, and Farrell Permley. Earlier in the novel, Portis had explained just how Rooster felt he had an advantage, even when outnumbered by charging any sort of group of people. And in this scene, it plays out where Rooster, wheeling two guns, charges on horseback, and he kills both Permley brothers and wounds Ned Pepper. And as to be expected, the original greaser Bob gets away with all the money and is never heard from again in the novel. Both Rooster and Ned are wounded. Rooster's horse is dead, and Ned has a drop on Rooster, but is unable to kill the U.S. Marshal because LeBeef shoots him from around 600 yards away. While celebrating the shot, Tom strikes LeBeef and knocks him out only to have Maddie shoot him in the side of the head. The shot is believed to have killed Tom, giving Maddie revenge, but the kickback of the gun sends her into a snake pit where she clings onto the side in every attempt not to fall to the bottom. With a broken arm, she holds onto the skeleton of a dead man full of snakes, trying to get out but unable to make any progress. Tom Chaney, wounded but not dead, tries to send her to the bottom of the pit, but Rooster appears and tosses Tom in, finally sending the villain to his death. Eventually, Maddie is pulled from the pit, but was bit by a snake. Rooster knows he has to get Maddie back to Fort Smith, and a wild race against time has started. LaBeef is left behind temporarily, and Rooster takes off with Maddie. The two are able to make it back to Fort Smith, where Maddie has her arm amputated, but she survives, and her adventure ends. The novel wraps up with LaBeef collecting Tom's body and returning to Texas for the reward and Rooster surrendering his federal badge after a gun duel that killed Otis Wharton. 
Time shifts to 1903. Maddie is now very successful, but she never married and has to deal with the slander about only loving money in the Presbyterian Church. But her attitude as a 14-year-old remains true, and she isn't concerned about what people think. Maddie's brother Frank knows that she would like to see Rooster again and tells her that Rooster is now part of a traveling Wild West show, which will be in Memphis. Maddie takes a journey only to find out that Rooster has recently passed away and has been buried in a Confederate cemetery since there was no family to claim him. Maddie would have none of that and pays to have his body moved to her family's plot, a clear sign of respect and love for a very complicated man. It is in this gesture that the last element of Maddie's code is put into place. She might not have ever married, but her love of honor, loyalty, and honesty, even from a liar and a cheat, shines through. We have four discussion questions for Chapter 7. If true grit is a hero's journey, who is the hero? Number two, Maddie was seeking a man with grit. Did Rooster live up to her expectations? Number three, how does the end of the novel influence your interpretation of the beginning? Does it change the way you think about Maddie or Rooster? Number four, this novel reveals the code that Maddie lives by. How did this adventure influence the adult narrator? And how does Maddie the 14-year-old's outlook and actions compare to the adult narrating the story? Now that we've finished the novel, I want us to analyze one key section. And this one key point is the difference between childhood and adulthood. Maddie is very mature. She stands up for herself. She makes sure that she is the one who is responsible for this situation. She's going to take care of it. She's going to handle it. But she's 14. And her ideas and her actions don't always live up to what she's physically able to do. The world that she's living in in the territory, it's a violent world. And the protection that she has through laws and rules isn't there. So she has to rely on adults to kind of bail her out to save her at times. But just because they're adults doesn't mean that they're acting necessarily like adults. And in this book, we see a big factor where age doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to do the right thing. And as much as we could explore what is good or bad or what is right and what is wrong in this novel, in the gray area that this novel seems to live in, I do think we're going to look at that and explore this through the idea of childhood and adulthood. And that transition from childhood to adulthood and whether or not age as a number truly means anything in influencing when someone is acting like an adult or when someone is acting like a child. I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's a great novel. I hope you enjoyed it. It's something that I do think lends itself to some great conversations and some great writing. And I'm really looking forward to having a cool discussion with you guys and moving forward with the rest of the school year. <laughs>